something this morning that we've already sang about, sung about, ever, what's grammatically correct. Um, that we did, we did this, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Uh, someone did. I'm not sure who. But let's make a stab at it again and see if there's uh, something that would just help us a little bit. I want to look at Psalms 48, verse 11. It says, Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of your judgments. And in Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. The judgments and... The law of the Lord uh, are cause for joy. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of your judgments. Blessed is the man. Fortunate is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't listen to those things that, that the ungodly would say. He doesn't stand in the path with sinners. He doesn't travel that road. <clears throat> he doesn't sit in, the seat of the, sit in the seat of the scornful. He's not a partaker of that. But he delights in the law of the Lord. And in his law, uh, law he meditates day and night. That there is pleasure, delight, in the law of the Lord. And so I want us to look this morning at joy. And what we find in looking in scriptures at this is that joy is repeatedly shown in scripture to be the natural outcome of fellowship with God. There, if we follow the Lord and not the things of the world, it should be a joyous life that we live. Because we're so fortunate to have him. I want to start off, or really continue, in the Old Testament for just a few minutes. And I'm going to kind of rush through these to get to the, Old, uh, the New Testament stuff. But um, in Psalms chapter 21, verse 6 and 7. For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. David, the king, did not have to fret. He had, he had trust in the Lord. And he recognized that the mercy of the Lord is of the Most High uh, would sustain him through whatever uh, problem. And he had a lot of chore, uh, 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 bad things happen to him. But he trusted in the Lord. In Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16, your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Your word to me was, uh, the, to me was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I am called by your name. That sounds like Names written in the book of life or something. Uh, it's comfort to them to know that God is with them and they are on God's side. 
we also find security uh, in the uh, reason for joy in the Bible. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the multitudes of isles, multitude of isles be glad. The Lord is reigning. The earth can rejoice because everybody can rejoice because of that. In Psalm 31, 1, the Lord reigns, he is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed, he has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. There is comfort in that. That the Lord again is reigning and he has girded himself with strength. And as long as we are on his side, that we have his strength behind us. Psalms 96.10 Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the people's righteously. Again, the Lord's reigning. The earth is firmly established. And God's going to judge with righteousness. Again, if we're following the Lord, if we're His, we can be comforted and know that He's a protector of us. Also in the Old Testament, in Psalms 27, verse 6, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. And in First Chronicles 29, 9, Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. That our worship to God and serving God and doing his will is a cause for rejoicing. And when we're here in our worship, we should be rejoicing and singing the songs and looking at, our, at God's word um, that uh, guides our lives. In the Old Testament, they had a concept of salvation, somewhat different than the New Testament's concept of salvation. In Psalm 21, 1, the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. God's salvation. In Isaiah 25, verse 9, and it will be said in that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation because he saves us. In Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Saying basically the same thing. There's, There's a cause of rejoicing in our lives because of him. Here's a, a thought here that I'm not sure we, uh, I don't maybe think about it as often as I should, but the Lord rejoices. In Psalm chapter, or Psalm 104 verse 31, may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. And in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 9, 
The Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hands, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. He's going to rejoice at the work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, what you do. That pleases God, and it's a cause of him, for him to rejoice. He says, over you, in the good that we do. So there's that, that idea of God being pleased and rejoicing about how we live. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. There again, God is rejoicing uh, over us he, with singing and with gladness. And uh, the mighty one will save. That's a cause for us to rejoice as well. Now, in the New Testament, there is cause for rejoicing as well. In Galatians 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. So it's one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And like I said, we've talked about this. I think we went over these uh, a couple years ago or this or another place. Anyway, love and joy and peace, all that is a fruit of the Spirit. It's an, it's a, you know, when a fruit is ripe and it, when it's time for plucking, that's when we enjoy it. We get to experience the result of what the Spirit blesses God's people with. And part of it is joy. Part of it is love and peace and long-suffering and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. It's a product or an outcome of something. So we enjoy the harvest that the Spirit provides for us. There are many things to be thankful for. The things that we talked about in the Old Testament in those few minutes that we looked at those uh, dozen scriptures or whatever can be said about the New Testament law, about the new covenant that Jesus brought into and replaced the old covenant with. That same thing can be said, so I won't entirely go over all those things again, but just a little, a little bit different stuff. Joy seems to be a duty of ours. It seems to be an obligation that we have as, as God's children to be... Uh, in the right frame of mind and pleasing to him and happy about what he's done for us and what he will do for us and what he can do for us. That we're to be pleasing uh, and we're, it's our duty to be happy, to be joyous rather, not necessarily about happy. I'm not sure that's the word. But in Philippians 3 verse 1, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. It just like I said, seems to be 
my duty. It seems to be your duty. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul is saying that, you know, if I'm, if I'm a drink offering, if I die, basically is what he's saying. For my faith, said, I'm ready. I am glad and I rejoice with you. Why would others rejoice? Because he died, he's killed through persecution by uh, the Roman officials. But they can be glad because they know where his destination is. And they will miss him personally uh, for what times they've got to see him. They will miss those. But they can rejoice because of that way he lived and for what he taught them. First Thessalonians 5 verse 16, rejoice always. That's the whole verse. Rejoice always. Always, again, seems to be my duty. Seems to be your duty as a, a member of the body of Christ. And we talked about God having joy, but Jesus had joy or has joy. In John chapter 15 and verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may, be, may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants his joy to remain in them. And he wants their joy to be full. If, he, if they abide in him as he abides in God, and he loves, and, and we love the Lord like the Lord loves us, and Jesus loved his Father, and abided in him, and does abide in him, the joy that Jesus has will be ours. And it will remain in us and be full. It will be, it will come to a completeness at some time after this life is over, which is that time. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You, you know what, what happened before Hebrews 12, 1, all these people in Hebrews 11, these people of faith and the descriptions in, in what all they went through to, and yet stayed faithful to the Lord. Those, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Let's be like them. Don't count the world as what's going to get me to heaven. We have to lay aside that weight. We have to put those things away. We have to Deny ourselves, as the Gospels tell us. Deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow him. So we lay aside every weight and the sin which entangles us 
in the affairs of this world. It happens. It does. You know it, and I know it. And it happens to everybody, all of us, and all of the world. But the thing that makes the Christian, the saint, the disciple of the Lord different is he lays off those entrapments. He takes those aside. He lays off the weight that will hold him back. If he were running, you wouldn't run with weights on. You would train with weight, but you'd get rid of it to win the race. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That endurance is not a sprint. It's a long run. It's a lifelong run. I used to do a little running. I don't know who else did in here. I never won a race, but I might say that. But, you know, you finish. And you run to the till the end. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. What in the world does that mean? He's the finish line. We do it like he did. Faithful till the end. Rewarded in heaven. So he is... Um, the author and finisher, he's our pathfinder. He's the, the, the reason we have faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Was he pleased? Was he happy and joyous about the pain and the suffering? He endured that pain. He endured the cross. All that we talked about in the class this morning in Matthew 27 where he's beaten by the soldiers and mocked by the soldiers. He's crucified. He's nailed to a cross. <clears throat> he's made fun of. He's has been spat upon. He's been beaten and scourged. And he's all of this, his humiliation. He endured that, despising the shame. Ever what that shame is of, of being uh, crucified, in whatever shame else that, that may have done to him that would be shameful. He endured all that. He hated that shameful part. But when it was over, he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of, of God. Let us lay aside every weight and have a joyous life here, serving God and doing his will. We also can rejoice at salvation. Again, those in the Old Testament had a concept of it. But in Acts chapter 8, verse 39, the, the eunuch from Ethiopia, in Acts 39, 8, 39, and when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught him away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing because he has no sin. The sin that he had is gone. The Lord will never remember those sins again. They're gone. Simon used to say of the Lord, if you, if you, if you could mention a sin to him and that sin was forgiven, he said, what sin? It's gone. It's time for rejoicing. The Ethiopian eunuch thinks so. He went on his way rejoicing because he in God's eyes, is now righteous. 
in Acts chapter 15, verse 3. So being sent on their own, uh, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. Paul and Barnabas have left the church and sent them away by the, the, the church where they were, sent them away and to go to Jerusalem. And so they went on their way, and they, when Phoenicia, which would be on the coast of Tyre and Sidon, in that area right there, and here's the Sea of Galilee just to the east of it, uh, southeast of it a little bit. When he goes through there, he's telling them about the Gentiles, non-Jews being forgiven of their sins, being converted to the Lord, and it caused great joy to all the brethren. That is the thing to be happy about. That is the thing to be ecstatic about, that all sins for other people are forgiven. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, and does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and goes after the one which is lost until he finds it. Continuing in verse 5, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. When he comes home, he calls his friends together and uh, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. There's joy in salvation. The angels would rejoice over salvation, but then somebody falls away, and there's great rejoicing when they come back. So this man um, wanted everybody to know. Calls together his friends and neighbors, rejoice with me. I found that lost sheep. I found him. In Luke 15, 22 through 24. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. You know the story. The prodigal, quote-unquote, son wanted to get away from his family. He wanted his inheritance. And he wanted to go do things the way he wanted to do. And so the father gave him his portion. And so he goes out and he lives the life of sin that we've read about. And then he comes to his senses. He said the scriptures say he came to himself. And he goes back home. He wants to be just considered a servant. His father sees him and says, bring out the best of the road and put it on him. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they were joyous because he came back. The other son had a problem. 
I'm not going to deal with him today. But here's one who has, was lost. And he was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We can also receive joy from other brethren. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 13 Therefore we have been comforted by your comfort and we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. The church at Corinth had multiple problems. I won't get into all that. We're about to start studying 1 Corinthians. But you know, you know the, the reading of it. You know what different things they had that were a problem. So Timothy goes there and Timothy comes back to them and he's been comforted in your comfort. You made quite an impression on him, he says. And we rejoiced exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. So Titus is reinvigorated, I guess you might say, it seems. He's done what Paul wanted him to do, go there and see these people, and they encouraged him. They refreshed him. He wasn't nervous now about being around them, if that was any of, had anything to do with it. But in Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having fellowship with the Spirit. If there's any affection and mercy, you be like-minded. Be like Paul, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. You're all pulling for the same goal in life, in Christ. Fulfill my joy. You be like-minded. Do it the way Paul did it and those he's encouraging. This is maybe the one of the things that it seems contradictory to be feel have a feeling of joy over. In Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 41, And they agreed with them, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. The apostles were beaten, told, don't preach anymore, Jesus. Don't do that. But they let him go. And they rejoiced. One reason, because they let him go. Another reason is they could just go on and continue preaching. He didn't stop them. The, the council didn't stop them. But they rejoiced because they were worthy to be, to suffer shame for his name. To be persecuted in a sense. 
that, like I say, that we we I, we don't look at those things the same. I, I don't think. Turn with me to Matthew chapter five. Matthew, there's my outline. Matthew chapter five. <clears throat> That's the Beatitudes right there. And um, I don't think we'll actually read all of them, but I do, uh, talking about the trials and persecutions. Let's start in verse 10 instead of reading all of it. Now let's go ahead and read all of it. Begin in verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Well, that's pretty hard. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Yes. The merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven persecuted for righteousness sake the kingdom of heaven that's a reason to be joyous blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my for my sake verse 12 rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you are like the poor in spirit, those who mourn, and the meek, and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and the merciful, and the pure in heart, and the peacemakers, and are persecuted, that's just what the prophets went through, it sounds like, as well. All, they were persecuted, and they said all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. That's persecution how do you how do we today be exceedingly glad at those things which are harmful to us it seems you keep in mind for great is your reward in heaven verse 12 great is your reward in heaven for so they persecute the prophets who are before you in in those fashions They persecuted all those prophets. What happened? In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect way, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Various trials, various persecutions, testing of your faith to see what you're going to do, to see how you'll respond to that test. 
come through it, it produces patience. It gives us endurance to make it through to, to the end. That you may be perfect and complete, perfect and complete, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You have what you need to get to heaven. First Peter chapter 4, verse 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you also may be glad with exceeding joy. When Jesus' glory is revealed, that those who are faithful to him can rejoice and be glad. Rejoice with exceeding joy. Be glad with exceeding joy. Because Christ is revealed and we'll be with him. We'll know more then than we know now. And we'll be with him. Of course, there's always judgment coming. Not going to read all the story in Matthew 25. But you know the talents. Matthew 25, verse 21, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what I would like to hear at the judgment about me. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You were faithful. You were faithful at a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Fortunate indeed, blessed, a reason for exceeding joy. But in Matthew 25, verse 30, and cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We have a good, well done, good and faithful servant and an unprofitable servant. The good and faithful servant, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The unfaithful servant, the unprofitable servant, cast him into the outer darkness. Into a darkness in which there will be absolutely no light. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's where the punishment is. So it's up to us to make our selection on which one of these two we like. The faithful servant who will enter into the joy of your Lord or the unprofitable servant who will be cast into outer darkness and be weeping and gnashing. It's a choice. Which do we choose? One of these two will get our sentence. One of those two. Every one of us in here Everybody on earth, everybody that has ever lived on earth is going to hear the sentence. Adolf Hitler is going to hear his sentence. I, he's in the, the realm of the dead, so I expect he knows what his sentence is. He just hadn't fully heard it yet. And all these other people. The apostles are, I'm assuming, in the realm of the dead, but they may not have heard their final sentence, but I, they know what it's going to be depending on which where they are in the in Hades. 
We haven't faced that yet, but we will. If you need to respond, you need to come to the uh, come forward and uh, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Or if you're His child and not right, and you need the prayers of saints, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?